Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Scattered Abroad Joint Podcast. We're here in season three. It's hard to believe. And today we've got a great topic as well on Behold Our God, continuing our theme. Today's episode is on Behold Our God Loves Us. I have a great group of panelists with me. To my immediate right, I have Drew Suttles. He's back for another episode. And to his right, I have Daniel Webster. He hosted last month's episode and did a great job. And then to my left, I have Bradley Smith. Uh, Bradley, thanks for being on the podcast, I guess. Uh, You might hear a dull roar of the crowd and other things going on, Uh, maybe some loudspeaker like you might be hearing right now. Uh, We're at Polishing the Pulpit. We're recording this live. And so uh, that's what you're hearing other than when Daniel just made that noise a second ago. Uh, If it's like two episodes back, Daniel cannot interrupt this episode because he's in it. And so we're glad glad to be here together to talk about God's love. And so when we think about love, nothing in life is more influential in some ways than love can be. Uh, It drives a whole genre of movies on the Lifetime Network. It draws a whole lifetime, a whole genre of movies on the Hallmark Channel. Mm. Uh, Just everywhere you look, there's love. And all you need is love. The Beatles wrote, I believe. Should we sing it? No, we should not. Um, (laughs) Especially not Michael. It should, bro, you're one to talk, man. You had to go buy that polo just to be on the show. Um, You made me. Anyway, so when we think about love, let's start with the first question. Does God love us because he's obligated to? Does he have a choice? Does God love us just because he has to? I think yes and no, right? I think it's I think it's like a lot of questions that have to do with the Bible and theology and Christianity. There's some nuance to it. There's it's not all black and white necessarily. There's some gray area in between. And like I think that's the case here where yes, it is his nature. First John 4 8, God is love, right? He, he's not himself if he's not loving. So if he's not loving us, he's not himself. So Kind of, yeah, he has to. But then also, I think we all would say that God is a being with free will, you know? And that's one of the things that has to do with our being made in his image, that we also have free will. So as a free will being, he also chooses to love us, to love you, to love me. And like we say, it's jokingly, but also seriously, sometimes it really is hard to love us, all of us. Yeah. But even with that, he still does. So I think the answer is yes and no. Yeah, I think that's the passage. We love him because he yeah. first loved Verse us. 19. Not because he's obligated to, mm-hmm. not because it's just how he's programmed, but because he chose to love us, we should also reciprocate that to him. We should look back and say, you love me, therefore I love you. And at the risk of almost quoting a Barney song, that's the idea. I love you, you love me. And we can be We're a great family. Yeah, no, uh, we could be a great big family from a church perspective because God first chose to redeem us. It was his choice. It didn't have to happen. Now, we know Revelation, some might say, well, Revelation tells me in Revelation, I believe, 13 and verse 11, that Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. There, there your arguments destroyed. Well, no, God knew from the beginning that man would mess up. That was something that God was aware of. He wasn't, it wasn't like God was blindsided, like, what? They messed up? Man, I can't believe that happened. God knew that man was not a perfect being, and God had a contingency plan already in place, a lamb slain before he laid the foundation of the world. That shows even more how much he loves us. Before we were created, mm. he loved us. Mm. I can't imagine, we, we talk about it a lot. We have children, my wife and I, of course, and two of the panelists on the on the show today have children, Drew and I, and uh, we can say that we love our children because we've met them. 
I hope the Lord gives me a few more children. I know Drew hopes the Lord gives him no more children. Uh, and yet, if I were to say right now, Drew is nodding vigorously. If, if I were to say right now, I love my ne- my next son that will come six years from now. I can't. I don't know him. I don't. I haven't experienced holding that child, and yet God is able to love so deeply and so vast that before we were even made, He goes, "I love Michael. I love Daniel. I love Drew. I love Bradley." I love Jonathan, who's over there recording, and everybody else that's in the convention center Thanks, Jonathan. and we in love the you. world. I love sure. them. I'll redeem them. Mm. I can't fathom that. Mm. And it is it, it was a choice for him to love me. He could have chosen to look at me and say, you messed up. That's it. I'm done. Mm. But he didn't. I'm thankful that he didn't. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, we talk about Romans 11, 22, behold the goodness and severity of God. And so if God cease to be just and right, he would cease to be God. Yeah. I believe the same is true. If he ceased to be good, he would cease to be God. Cease to be loving. That kind of love that we experience mm-hmm. from God the Father is is like you said, it's, it's almost unfathomable. We've seen that mm-hmm. song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. Yeah. It is beyond all measure. And we have bits and pieces of it throughout scripture. Abraham and Isaac, for example. I can't fathom doing that for, for my you know, with my child. And that's just a glimpse of what he would do with Jesus. But to think that he sent Jesus to the cross before any of us were even born, Jesus dying was God saying, I love you as an individual. That's mm. that's amazing. Yeah. It's like what yes. Paul says, Galatians 2.20, right? I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in flesh, I live by faith, the Son of God who loved me Yeah, yeah. and gave himself for me. It's a personal love, an intimate love that God has for us. Absolutely. You know, I think... If you're familiar with the ontological argument for God's existence, it goes back to a lot of what Anselm argued way back in the day, where he argued that God is the greatest conceivable being, right? That was his conception of God. Because when you think about it, it's pretty hard to define God in like a small thing, right? And I think that's on purpose because God is the only infinite being. But that was was his attempt at it. it. God is the greatest conceivable being. So we would say that love is a great making quality right yeah. love is a good thing if you're going to be great you have to be loving so for god, kind of going off of what you said if god ceased to be loving he's no longer god he's no longer the greatest conceivable being like paul like john wrote in first john 4 8 god is love so if he ceases to love he ceases to be the being that we think of as god so i think that's the yes answer to this question right where god doesn't choose it it's just who he is so he is nature. And, and the thing that's amazing about that is how god loves us even though we're undeserving of it yeah, we right. spend so much of our lives in rebellion to him doing everything opposite of yeah. what he's commanded us to do but yeah. romans 5 8 he commended his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners christ died for us right. his love isn't going to change based on what we do his love is consistent for us. Amen. And that's something we're not consistent beings. Man is not known for Fickle. his consistency. You know, I uh, I think uh, about a lot about Romans chapter 7 and how Paul does. It's my favorite chapter of the whole New Testament. And some people look at me like I'm crazy when I say that. But it really shows in a 25-verse span the change of imperfect people, imperfect people, and a perfect law with a better covenant that takes care of us in a better way and helps us to not have to have those 
terrible laws. And one of the things Paul says basically is, I'm not a perfect husband, but I could be a perfect husband. I'm not, I'm not perfect as a lawgiver, basically, or as a law keeper, he writes it, but I can be a faithful law keeper. And when you look at it from a modern perspective, I am not a perfect husband. Neither are you, Drew. No, sir. As great of a man as you are. Speak for you. As awesome as you are. Bradley, you are not a great husband. I mean, Lauren is sitting right over there. I can get her over here to tell us, and she'll say no. You're, we're not perfect husbands, and that's okay. That's right. You know, Why'd Daniel, you when that? you're one day a husband to someone, I won't even say the name of who you're dating now, your track record. No. <laughs> when you are a husband, you will not be a perfect husband. Even though it is a wonderful blessing to be married, we're not perfect. But God says you don't have to be perfect. I sure. want you to be faithful. I want you to just be a faithful person. That's love because God, who is a perfect being, could easily require perfection out of us. And sometimes man is known to do that even though he doesn't hold himself to that standard. I think sometimes parents will say to their children, you got to be a straight-A student. You make one B— you're, you're grounded. I had a girl that I went to school with in middle school. That was that was the rule. That was me. If you made a B, yeah. that was it. Yep. Man, yep. what a blessing that God didn't look at me and say, that old law, yeah, it's going to stick around. Too, and if you, don't hold it, if, if you don't hold it perfectly, you're done. Mm. You're out of the way. You have no hope. You're in trouble. Sorry. See you next time. Mm. What a blessing. It's what a blessing. Faithful love, right? Faithful love flowing down. We won't sing it. But <laughs> that's the second part. And we've kind of touched on it a little bit, but how God defines love. How does God define love? Any Anybody. I'll gladly keep talking. So <laughs> We know. <laughs> right. So I've talked about 1 John 4, 8, right? That God is love. But I think the next two verses after that really speak to this in a special way. It says that in this, the love of God was made manifest among us or was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him in this is love not that we have loved God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins so I think especially the beginning of verse 9 that phrase in this the love of God was manifested and then verse 10 in this is love not that we love God but that he loved us and sent his son I think if you look through those verses really God's definition of love is self-sacrifice in a lot of ways god defines love as my wanting what's best for you truly yeah you know not yes. not as colored through my personal lenses of what of what you know scratches both of our backs necessarily or what what makes both of us happy yeah but what really does end up with you being or getting the best for yourself you know and, and getting the best from god's perspective yeah. i really think that's the core of it and where i went with that was service you see how love is so often defined. We can see that God loves us because of what he has done for us. Right. In John 13, Jesus said, by this all men shall know you are my disciples. If you have love one toward another, mm -hmm. by serving one another, uh, by reaching out to the world. We're, we're supposed to help those who are in need. James 117, Galatians uh, chapter 6, number of other passages. The world right. sees our love by what we do it's easy right. to say i love you but uh, well for most people except for maybe michael <laughs> but if i don't actually go out of my way to show you that i love you you're not going to believe me so you, you see love defined in service yeah that's a good way to put it I've, mm -hmm. I've been saying all season when we talk about these things i, I type the word into my esword word search and i look for the first time it pops up in the bible and i've always been amazed at when it happens 
First time you find the word love Genesis specifically 22. written is Genesis 22. That's it. In verse 2 where he says, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and kill him. That's right. That's a, that's a weird place to find the first word for love. Take the person you love and sacrifice him. There, we have a type and an antitype, though, of willingness to sacrifice your own son. And Abram was willing. Abraham's willing. He's got the knife. He's ready to do it. And God then says, okay, stop him. He doesn't have to do that anymore. But it was the willingness that he showed that proved, I have faith that God will raise him from the dead. We find that out later in the scriptures, supposing he would rise him up, raise him up from the dead. That had never been done before that we have recorded in scripture. And the first time you find love is all the way in Genesis 22. How does God define love? The very first time, sacrifice. sacrifice. Just like yeah. you were talking about. It's a sacrifice. If you love Isaac and you love me, you'll sacrifice your son to please me. And some people get hung up on that. And they get really hung up in the in the idea that God would tell a father to kill his son. But they miss the point, I think, of Abraham's faith. The faith that I might kill him, God will bring him back. I trust in my God so much that no matter what happens to this boy, the one that was promised as a seed promise, I'm going to have this man, all nations will be blessed. He's not going to stay dead. And here we are in 2022, recording this for 2023, and we're looking at it and saying, wow, here was Jesus. He died, didn't stay dead. He rose, and we have hope because of that. The love of a sacrifice actually being carried through that time, yeah. where instead of Isaac, who was spared by a bullock, who God had caught in a thistle and thorns to keep it from being able to escape, was spared through Abraham's faith that he would be risen from the dead. Jesus, God willingly allowed Jesus to die so that I could have hope so that I could have a chance for eternal life if I will live faithfully and show love back to him. That's the, I mean, you touched on it, but it, it is truly the best way to define love is it's a sacrifice. Yes. And love as a father, as a husband, as a brother, a son, a friend, it requires sacrifice. It requires me to take a look beyond myself and to do better. Now, we're going to play the same game, and then I'll go to you, Bradley. Hush your mouth. No. Um, <laughs> yes, sir. I've been playing this game, Daniel, uh, all season long when I've been on the podcast. We're going to try to guess how many times the word love appears. Oh, wow. And I'm going to ask you, does it appear more in the Old or New Testament? So, you tell me, does it show up? And we're not looking at... Uh, Which translation? Uh, it's the New King James Version. Okay. We're looking at how many times it's used. Not how many verses, but do you think it's used more times in the Old or the New Testament, Daniel? I think more in the old. Okay. Drew? I'm going to go new again. All right, They're new. Wrong. Tiebreaker. I'll go new. They are correct. Believe it or not, it's uh -huh. found 215 uh -huh. times in 184 verses in the New wow. Testament, wow. and it's found 147 times in 139 verses in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. But it's the closest we've gotten so far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Usually there's like a dead ringer winner. Mm -hmm. This is the closest we've seen. Huh. But it shows we often say love is a main theme of the Bible. Hope and love are main themes of the Bible. And faith. There we go. About. Faith, hope, love. These three. The greatest mm -hmm. of these, love. love. And it's talked about over, you look at the whole Bible, it's found 362 times in the New King James Version. That's just the word love. That's not the concept. It's not the idea. It's just the word. And it is all throughout Scripture. Love is defined by God in numerous cases. But I thought it was interesting that the very first time we see the word, it's when God says to Abraham, kill your son, mm -hmm. the one that you love, kill him and do it to please me. And it was a test, and Abraham passed that test, and we can pass the test too because today God says, kill the things that you love. Get rid of the things that you wanna do. 
But in this case, it's not something that's pure like a son. It's a sin. Get rid of living for yourself and live for me. Sacrifice yourself. Romans 6, 3 and 4, be buried with me and rise as a new creature. Don't be the old man anymore. Let him stay dead. And we don't always do a very good job of that part. Yeah. Bradley? I was just going to John 14, 15. Too late. All right. uh, We're going to, no. John John 14, 15. Yes. We've been talking about service and, and sacrifice. Well, God literally defines what it means to love him. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Definition, there you go. Yeah. I think something like that you touched on earlier, Bradley, and that you just touched on, and that we've been discussing, I think, this whole time, it's just the thought that love is an action. Yeah. It's we, we describe a feeling of emotion as love, and appropriately so, I think. But ultimate love and love that truly lasts really is action-based. I mean, in 1 Corinthians 13, we have to mention it, right? Love suffers long and is kind and et cetera, et cetera. Those are all actions. Yep. Love expresses itself by how we live our lives, by sacrificing for other people. I, I can tell my wife I love her, but if I go home and beat her, obviously I don't. That's a good point. Is that an admission or no? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bradley, that, no. Is, that is what we would call jumping to the extremist but I, I mean it's a good point though if, I, if it, I say that I love you and then I treat you like dirt I don't love you mm. if I say that I love you and I don't ever do anything to try to help you I don't love you mm. now we're gonna we're gonna go right to question four in just a moment but I'm gonna jump to our sponsor now for this episode this episode sponsorship is by the Memphis School of Preaching they were gracious enough to donate us these camelback water bottles were gracious to them for doing that and all season long, we've been talking about the education that our hosts have received on the podcast, the different hosts that we've had throughout the summer and throughout the season. Uh, we have all of these things through the teaching that we received at the Memphis School of Preaching. We're blessed to have attended a school that was tuition free. And if you'd like to know more about preaching the gospel and attending the Memphis School of Preaching located in Germantown, Tennessee, you can find that information in the show notes. Thanks so much to Memphis for sponsoring this season. And we'll move now to our fourth question. Guys, back to y'all. Question number four. We're going to cover question three a lot more next episode, so it just seems okay. We'll just we'll just forego it. Question number four, and this is a this is a tough one, because today a lot of people say love is acceptance, and so the question is, is God's love purely based on accepting us as we are? Well, we talked about this earlier, and He loves us, you know, not because of our perfection. But in our imperfections, even, loved us so much. And Romans 5 is a classic text, Romans 5, 6 and following. In that while we were yet sinners, Bradley, you've already talked about this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Um, you think about the Lamb of God taking away the sin of the world, John 1, 29. Think of our imperfections. Think of David. And you read through the book of Psalms. Did he ever doubt for one second that God didn't love him? No, he, he knew that, that God loved him. Mm-hmm. We find that in the book of Jude, in fact. Keep yourselves in the love of God. So what am I supposed to do or how am I supposed to look at that? God God is going to love us. This is kind of going to be a weird way to say it. Unconditionally, but at the same time, there are conditions to prove that we do love him. First John right. 2, 3 through 6. Hereby do we know that we know him if we love him and keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar and the truth is not in him. If I love God... I'm going to do what he says, but he's going to love me the whole time. Luke 15, for example, the prodigal son. Who's the father representing? Well, it's God the father. 
not for one second did he not love his son, but don't you think of the loving embrace that you, you see there in Luke 15? Um, that's a really difficult question, a tough question. But from my judgment, it kind of based on what we're talking about, God's always going to love us. But there are conditions we are to meet if we want to get the full, the full yeah. effect of his love and experience that in our lives. Yeah. I think it's like 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says that we become the righteousness of God in Christ. Because, in other words, because of our relationship with Jesus, we attain that status with God. I think it's a similar thing here. Like in, in John 16, verse 27, Jesus says that the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. And it's it's not that the, the, that God will ever stop loving anyone, right? He is love. He wants what's best for literally everyone on earth. He, he loves all of us. But there is there's something. I don't know exactly how to define it. But th there's some kind of special love that we can be in relationship with with God and cannot be. Like Jesus says, and I think John 15, abide in my love. Mm -hmm. So that means that we can choose not to, right? So there, there is some kind of love that we can have only because of a certain relationship with God. And, but there's also that other type of love that God loves us no matter what. So I think it's, again, like a yes or no and no yeah. type thing. Well, and, and you talked about acceptance. Acts mm -hmm. 10, 34 and 35 comes to mind. You know, when Peter said that, God's no respecter of persons, but in every nation, he who loves him and, and keeps his commandments, there's where you can be accepted by God. So this yeah. idea of acceptance and love, God loves everybody. Right. But this concept of acceptance, you've got to you've got to submit to him. Uh, you can't just keep continuing to live the way you want to. You've got to love him in deed and in truth, the Bible teaches. Yeah, absolutely. And tied into this is the question that a lot of people have. And they say, how could a loving God send mm -hmm. anyone to hell? When the fact of the matter is, God doesn't send anyone to hell. Yeah. He gives us the choice. He lets us choose. Yeah. God doesn't want anyone to be lost. You'd have all men to be saved, come to a knowledge of the truth. Right. First Timothy 2, 4. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Second Peter 3, 9. God gives us a choice. We can make the choice of our own accord not to serve him if we want to, yeah. but God loves us so much that he has given us a plan. Now, like you said, there are conditions that he expects us to follow, mm -hmm. yeah. but he wants everyone to meet those conditions. Out of love for him. Yeah. Yes. So a couple things to think about. Number one, Hebrews 13, excuse me, Hebrews 12 and verse 6, mm -hmm. whom the Lord loves, he chastens and yes. scourges every son whom he receives. If you're into chastening, God deals with you as sons. Well, for what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you're without chastening, you're illegitimate. But then I want you to notice this. We don't often talk about it this way, but I think Acts chapter 19 is a really good example to show God won't always just accept us as we are. So in mm -hmm. Acts chapter 19, we often talk about that as a place where Paul goes and he's going over to uh, Ephesus and he finds some disciples and he says in verse 2, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, man, we don't even know if there is a Holy Spirit. Right. We haven't even heard whether there be a Holy Spirit or not. And then he says, well, to what then were you baptized? Well, how did that work? And they said, well, John's baptism. And Paul said, oh, that's okay. Mm -hmm. No worries. God will just accept you as you are. No, Paul said, hey, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance. He didn't discredit what right. John had done, saying to the people that they should believe on him with or who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And I want you to notice this. It's amazing. When they heard this, they realized, oh, Christ Jesus has been dead and risen and ascended, and they immediately baptized them. They were baptized into the name 
of the Lord Jesus. If God will accept me as I am, then why did God, through the Apostle Paul, tell these disciples, you've been baptized under the wrong baptism? It should be enough. God can overlook anything he chooses to. And I think sometimes we might get too bogged down with the we talk about homosexuality. Obviously, we know that that's a sin. That's what the Bible teaches in Romans chapter 1. Matthew 19, 4 tells us about how God created the world in the beginning, made them male and female. But I think we just get bogged down with only ever talking about that and only ever talking about maybe somebody who lives a life that is what we would, for lack of a better word, say is not politically on par with what we believe is correct. Of course, I would disagree with that and say I believe it's more morally, but right. Acts 19 has nothing to do with homosexuality has nothing to do with abortion, has nothing to do with any of those things. And Paul still says, y'all can't do this. Right. You've got to do it the right way. That way doesn't work anymore. It's not that it didn't work ever, because he, he credited John. Yes, John did indeed do that. However, John was preparing the way for someone else. That man has come, and they realize after hearing this, they said, we've done this wrong. We've got to change. Mm -hmm. It would be so disheartening if we had to read that they say, well, won't God just accept us as we are? Yeah. Even Acts chapter 8, when Simon the sorcerer tries to purchase uh, the miraculous power, and Paul and Peter tells him, your money perish with you, and, and you pray. better repent and pray. They didn't say, well, God will accept you as you are. Mm -hmm. When a man commits a transgression, that is a requirement then for him to change. Now, we talked in the last episode about the different types and the different ways people can transgress. Sometimes it's unknowingly. They're not aware. And I don't think God looks at them immediately and goes, well, that's it for them. They're done. But I also don't think God looks at everyone and says, I'm just going to give you as many chances as it takes until you die. And then we'll, we'll be good. And on the day of judgment, I'll say, man, you were so close. I'll just let you in on a technicality. There is a change that takes place. That's Romans 12, 1 and 2. And in order to change, I can't just stay how I was. I can't live the same way. Otherwise, what benefit does being baptized if I'm not going to change my life? Y'all got anything else you want to add to this? On that very note, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, mm -hmm. and you obey the gospel. That old man of sin is, is dead and buried. Right. Romans 6. But you come up, you know, as, as a brand new creature, old things are passed away. God, all things have become new. And it's a response to the love and the mercy of God, of course, when we obey. Romans 6, 17 and 18, obey from the heart. You do that because you love him. But there is certainly conditions, not only that you meet then, yeah. but you keep on meeting for the rest of your life. Yeah, absolutely. And that, I think that's part of what we're all been, we've all been talking about this whole season, basically, is behold our God. And when I behold God by reading the text and reading who he is, how he is, all of the things we talk about. Let's just think about it real quick. Behold our God, just God in general, who he was in his righteousness, in his justice, his mercy, his peace, creation, how he loves us, what we're talking about this very episode. I can't do all of that. And if I'm honestly searching, if I'm honestly willing to make a change, how can I look at all of this and not change? How right, can I exactly. look at everything and not do it? Now, I'll, I'll close with this, and I know I've probably talked about this on the podcast before and other podcasts, but it's, it's kind of a hilarity illustration, but I think it bears repeating. There is a television program on the TLC network called My 600-Pound Life, and on that show, there are numerous stories of people who have gone through various difficulties maybe some of them have been medical they just had a, a gallbladder issue with thyroid problems something along the lines and they've gained a lot of weight others unfortunately just made bad choices with the food that they eat and they've gained to an inordinate amount of weight 
And there was one lady in particular who was on the program, and she was talking about how uh, I am ready to make a change. And she met with the doctor, and the doctor says, okay, in order for us to do the surgery, we want to see an effort on your part, lose 30 pounds. We want you to lose 30 pounds. And you're looking at that, and you're going, man, that's a lot. But then you start thinking about all the other shows, and so many people, they do it by just walking several hours a day. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And just getting on a treadmill and walking around. And this lady goes to the gym, and she sees the workout regimen. We see that, actually, on the TV. And here's what it does. It says 7 a.m. She walks into the gym. Everything's going great. 7.05. 7.05. She says, well, I've worked out today. I'm going to be, I'm done for the day. And she walks out after five minutes. And I wish I was making this next part up, and I'm not trying to make fun of her. It just It's just kind of funny when you think about the, the silliness of it. She then goes to McDonald's and proceeds to order practically two or three meals. And she ate that. And then the doctor, when she went back for her weigh-in, said, you've gained weight. Wow. And she said, well, I've been dieting. And I've often wondered how the cameraman kept a straight face and didn't fall over laughing mm -hmm. because he had been with her and watching as she wasn't doing it. Yeah. She wasn't making an effort. And there are times where when we look at our own lives, we've got to make the change. Um, you know, there's so many things in life where it starts with me and the buck stops here and all the phrases we could come up with require me and require all of us to say, here's how I was living. It's time to stop and live a different way. For minutes. That's right. Guys, thank you so much for being on the podcast this month. And uh, we're thankful to have you guys as well, our, our listeners and viewers, those of you on YouTube. If you are interested in the Scattered Abroad Network, you can find out more about our podcast at the Scattered Abroad Network at gmail.com through email or scatteredabroad.org and be able to catch up on all of the shows that we offer and what we provide. We have shows and content for every day of the month. And until next month's episode, why don't you check us out? And until then, as always, take care and God bless. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on the Scattered Abroad Network. We are grateful for your continued support as well as your continued prayers. If you would like to find out more about our network, please visit our website at scatteredabroad.org. We look forward to studying with you again soon. May God bless you.